0: It's funny that one of the most um, challenging things in the church has been for the 40 years that I've been. One of the hardest things in the church is to get us to believe or step out or take risks about uh, God being able to do today what he did long ago. It's one of the most controversial, divisive things. Among non-Christians, I don't think it's a huge issue. But among Christians, it's an enormously divisive thing. And it's not that different from when Jesus was Messiah and he came on earth and he spoke into the synagogues and he spoke to the religious rulers of the day and the religious people of the day. And they they were so used to expecting the Messiah that when he came, they didn't recognize him. They're so used to talking about God that the idea that God would actually talk back got lost. And you know, we are like them. It's not a, it's, it's not a negative, it's, it's, a, it's just if I know that I have that tendency, then I can at least say, Lord, help me with it. If I insist that I don't, then I just remain blind. And I don't even know that I'm blind. You remember Jesus said, there are many who call me Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, I didn't know you. And I was reading an article this week by somebody who said, you know, we we, we live now in a a society where we want the blessings of God and we want the love of the Father, but the holiness of God and the fear of God is something we we kind of dismiss. And we think he's changed. And there's a healthy fear of God that I know I need more of. um, That just takes the wholeness of who God is. And so we're reading that story of Peter and John as they, you know, they had, Experienced Pentecost being filled with the Spirit and God didn't fill the disciples with the Spirit so they would stay in the upper room and worship him. He filled them so that they would go out and be his hands and feet in a world that was very broken, very hostile, very lost. And Peter and John at three o'clock in the afternoon were going up to the temple to pray and they were going to a place that was not open to Jesus and they were going into a place where the worship might have been questionable. They saw themselves as Jews. They didn't see themselves as Christians. They saw themselves as Jews. The Messiah has come. In, in Israel, now you would call yourself a Messianic Jew. The Messiah has come. Those promises are fulfilled. We're here to declare what real Judaism is. And uh, they went up there and everything had changed for them. Because they'd been through, and I repeat this all the time, because I think it's so crucial we get hold of the fact that God can work in us and through us now. Later on in Acts, we'll read how they stood before their religious leaders and they noted that they were unschooled men. And sometimes we can lull ourselves into it's always tomorrow or it's next week or it's when this has happened before God. It's a lie because God is present now. Um, But he doesn't fit into our boxes and so we have to get used to um, the way he changes. That's why it's relational. There's not a formula. You, you know we, we want to pin down, well, how did Jesus heal people? And you go, but he did it differently every time, which is really irritating. And then we think, well, if you shout loudly. So we—you know, we have these little groups who go through these seasons of or because Benny Hinn did that or whatever and there's a miracle somewhere there's, a, there's some way there's some for- if I can just find the formula then it'll happen maybe if I shout loud uh, maybe if I shout loud and declare that Jesus is Lord that's going to change things and it's not probably what if we contain just the same presence that Peter and John did if we have said Jesus I thank you that you died on the cross for me I ask you to fill me with your spirit and I go, well, I don't feel any different. To which the Bible might say, so what? What would you expect to feel? What if he says you will only feel it as you give it? Or what if it's both ends? Sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. One of the keys to growing in faith is, well, get to know what the Bible says and then ask God to take your experience into where that Bible is talking about. In other words... Um, if the Bible says that we will do greater things than Jesus and he doesn't qualify it and say some will do, he says anybody can because it's the same Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like electricity. You know, It doesn't matter whether a child's holding it or whether an adult's holding it. It will shock you if you touch a live wire. And Satan's greatest lie is to continually disqualify us because we are not good enough. And the easiest thing to do is to go, I absolutely know I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to stand up here. I'm not holy enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not experienced enough. But the grace of God and the, the the work of Jesus on the cross makes me able to. And we get so hung up, you know, because it's not about therefore I justify my sin. It's just that I'm a work in progress and so are you. So what if we began to believe in what God is doing and wants to do and then gave him opportunities to do that? Looking at the second uh, chapter, third chapter, in Acts um, Peter's had this experience with John in, in chapter we spoke about this last week now a man w- who was lame from birth was been carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he, w- he put every day to beg from those going into the temple court when he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money Peter looked straight at him as did John then Peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them silver or gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk There's that children's song walking and leaping and praising God taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God how cool is that so we wrote his children's song about it I grew up going to a Methodist youth group in my teens and we sang that song many times never ever prayed for anybody to be healed what's that about And then we get bored and say oh, I you know it's so hard to be a Christian today and God's you know we're just losing ground but what if Jesus said well I've given you all that you need to make a difference but you insist on carrying candles instead of my power. And you're not very excited about me either, so why would anybody else be? And when you have no power, and when you have no passion, you end up just agreeing to water everything down to be acceptable, and you become an an option. And if Christianity had been an option, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified. The other thing is then we start I tried to write this in trail notes this week then we start arguing with people and trying to persuade them with their, our heads it never works I mean if those guys around the crucifixion and resurrection I mean, intellectually engaged they couldn't see it with their minds so when Peter and John were filled with the Spirit and they went to the temple that, blind, that lame man had been there probably he was 40 years old we read about in Acts later on he, they walked past him many times why did, why did it matter? Why did, what changed this time? And what if being filled with the Spirit and witnessed it the resurrection released the presence of Jesus in them so that when they walked past a man like that this time, they saw him? Whereas before he was part of the furniture, he's just another beggar. And what if the Holy Spirit in us, one of the signs of knowing that we are followers of Jesus, He gives us eyes to see what we were indifferent to before. What if a witness to the Holy Spirit in us is not the songs we sing, not the amount of tongues we speak, but how we notice the poor and the lame. It's both and, but what if? And Peter and John had spent three years walking with Jesus, coming to the realization that nothing in them was very powerful. They had spent three years coming to terms with the fact that Jesus was unlike anyone they had ever met and that they had in them nothing that could do what he did. All that he began to show them was there was another way, but also all they began to, he began to show them was that in their own strength they could do nothing as he could do nothing. And one of the things we often do is say, well, I can't do that because I'm only human and Jesus goes well I know that in consulting terms they say why do you take off my watch and tell me the time I know what you can't do there's pretty much nothing you can do and so we people who are weakened who can do nothing in the name of Jesus in our own strength often use that as a reason why we don't do anything in the name of Jesus instead of saying I can do nothing but he can do everything and then we go well how do you know that well you've got to create opportunities to do something but I might nothing might happen. So I'm afraid of looking stupid, so I won't do anything. And so our our experiential level of God's power and His presence is limited because of our fear. Rather than saying, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. But you can't say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk until Jesus has done that to you. If you just think through Christianity, you will never say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. You'll say, get up and walk when you've been lame. And he said to you, get up and walk. And Peter, that's the good news, by the way. You see, these were the the spirit-filled disciples beginning to be released into the marketplace. Jesus probably didn't say, oh, and by the way, tomorrow when you go to the market, you're going to see. He said, no, it's all relational. So as you go, so I will lead. As you go, so you will see. As you go. And that's a learning curve it's a learning curve for all of us. I sat Nick, I mean, I'm telling this story to my shame. Well, I've got two stories to tell you this week. And they're all to my shame. I'd rather not talk about them. I was going home on I think it was Thursday evening, it was about 8:30. Stopped at Whiskey Creek for an ice cream because if I get a small child ice cream at Whiskey Creek, it's finished by the time I get home so Cheryl doesn't even know I've had one. <laughs> it actually works perfectly. I, eating the cone as I turn into the driveway, <laughs> and I'm getting out of the car to get this cone, uh, this ice cream, and this guy comes up to me, and I don't know if he'd been, I don't think he'd been drinking, but he was pretty down and out, and he says, uh, "Can you help me for, you know, five dollars to get to Port Alberni for my car or gas?" And so I opened my wallet and I gave him five dollars, and he thanked you saying, I mean, he thanked me as if I'd given him a whole lot more. And he got the gas because I saw him getting the gas. But I drove off licking my ice cream thinking, ah, you idiot. See, if that happened again, I would say, bring your car up. I'll fill it up for you. I said ticked off with myself because I, I, I should have been generous and said just not five bucks, the whole tank. But maybe ten years ago I wouldn't have opened my wallet. I would have said, eh, you shouldn't have started on the journey if you couldn't finish it. And I'm playing squash on Saturday and the sky's sitting next to me. And on Friday night and the sky's sitting next to me. This might still happen. I'm just working up the courage. I'm just sharing with you to encourage you that what I speak is not always what I do because I'm also wanting to grow into stuff. But I believe it. And he was in a very serious accident where he was hit by a flying a car and went, had brain damage and the whole lot. And he's recuperating. And he's talking to me because we're playing. I mean, we, 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 we're sort of rotating around. So we're sitting on the bench and... And he's talking about you know the slow recovery and the brain damage and stuff. And he's a little bit slow and stuff. And there's part of me that's going, well, why don't you just pray for him? And the other part's going, nah. And that's the part that won this, this time. But I've had these encounters before in the squash club and eventually if I talk about it, I do it. So I'm just saying, the, the, you know, I'm not willing to settle for my fear. Um, I'm not willing to go, No, how will I ever know Jesus is going to work with power unless I give him the opportunity? And so all I'm saying is that I think for James and John, they wouldn't have gone cold turkey into the temple gate. It was three years walking with Jesus. Three years of coming to terms with their own inability to do anything. Three years of experiencing much more than we will experience in sense of we often you know, hedge our bets and we hide our sins and we, we don't confess to one another and we try to be this stuff. And so we take 20 years to do what could be done in three years. And Jesus works with them until he says now go James, uh, Peter, Peter go do you love me go feed my sheep feed my lambs Here's the power to go with you and so they get boldness eventually that is amazing and, so P- and Peter is under no illusions because he's already been broken you know somebody was writing an article this week too it's it, you know when Peter I love that phrase in verse 11 while the man held on to Peter and John all the people were astonished this guy's standing for the first time and he's he's holding on to them. And they're amazed probably and he's amazed. But whereas maybe three years ago Peter might have gone, I'm the rock. I rock. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else want to be healed today? I mean that's what we see on TV quite a lot. He doesn't do that. He's humble. All the people come around him. Can you have my autograph? Can I have, let's take a selfie. And he says... Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godness we had, we had made this man walk? I mean, he is so not into himself at this moment. It's so unlike Peter. It must be God. He says, Why do you come and bow at me when I know who I am? There is nothing in me that can make this man walk. Let me tell you my story and you'll know why. And this man's holding on to them. Dancing and leaping and going, can you imagine? And then Peter starts speaking about the history. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. How do you deal with that? What happens when you miss it? You are guilty. What happens if God were to call each one of us and speak to us like that right now? This is when I came. This is what I did. You totally disowned me. You walked by on the other side. You are not listening to me. I've been trying to talk to you. I've been talking to you, three people, and you will not listen. Do you think you would be able to say that to each of us? Or some of you, he would be able to say to me. See, I think when we, we read and let it read us deeply, we get the power of the message. If we just skim over it, it just leaves us in the same bored half-indifferent, half-numb place that we live in most of the time. Well, I wouldn't have done that. And we jokingly and self-righteously claim something over us that isn't true. Because if you don't get this point where he says, you killed the Messiah, you actually put him to death. We have been talking as Jewish people for years and years and years and years, a thousand years about the coming of the Messiah. We keep on proclaiming him. We go up to Jerusalem for festivals. We say, let him come. And he comes and we don't recognize him. When you and I stand before God, there will be, be many, many faces that we recognize who said, I came to you and spoke to you through that person. But you didn't think they were good enough. They, you didn't think they were politically correct enough. You didn't think whatever. I go, oh, but God, I didn't know. And by the way, I spoke through you to these. Things. And your daughter, I didn't know. And Peter, he's setting them up because you've got to hit this one hard. You killed him. But then there's that phrase that's in the Bible, but God. But God, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. So how about that? You're not big enough to kill God. He's not subject to you to the degree that you can wipe him out. He rose from the dead. He's on the line and he wants to talk to you. Oh, shoot. And Peter says, yeah, I know. I was on a beach and he didn't pick up the phone. He came and talked to me personally. I was awkward and I was trembling. I was terrified. I lost my mind. I put my clothes on and jumped in the water to, to get to him but I was so scared because I'd said so many things to him about what I would do and I totally didn't do it. And if he acted like anybody else to me, I would have been dead. But he, he looked at me and he smiled and he loved me. I mean, I can't put it into words but in his presence something in me just broke apart and he just said, Peter... And he called me by the name that he gave me. It was his, his nickname to me. He gave it to me when I was fishing, and I was Simon, and he called me Peter. And he said, "You're going to be a rock." And I felt like sinking sand. And he says, "Do you love me?" And everything about my attitude and my failing him just pours into me, and I go, sort of, any, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, I do, sort of, but I don't know how to." He asked me three times, which is really insensitive. But each time, he just squeezed me tighter and he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I go, how can you call me to feed your sheep when I'm just so screwed up? Because I'm going to be in you and you're going to be a different Peter. And all this brokenness you're allowing to go through with me, I love you for that. Because you're going to be a powerhouse. You're not going to recognize yourself. And people are going to talk about you and give sermons about you in churches for the next 3,000 years you have no clue of what I'm going to do what I have to do right now is just capture your heart so that you'll do anything like I've done anything and Peter says yes he has no idea what lies ahead one thing he's told is one day you're going to die in a, in a way that you're not going to want to die and when the time comes maybe 20-30 years later Peter remembers them and says crucify me upside down I'm not worthy to die like Jesus totally transformed and it was out of that deposit that he walks up those temple gates and says, I don't have anything. But something was deposited into me by this Jesus that it gives me the authority to say to you, get up and walk. And now, at this point, he and John had learned to hear the whisper of the Spirit. But God. I wouldn't be here, but God. If it was left to me and what I did, but God. I wonder how many of us are living on the wrong side of the but God. I wonder whether you remember that I showed you that video but you know, but the big buts. If we live in the world of our big buts <laughs> rather than but God. If we live in the world of all the things that disqualify us, which is what Satan uses to keep us there, instead of saying but God and stepping into what he's done through Jesus. That's our only hope. That's why the resurrection is powerful. There are lots of verses in the Bible. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Eye has not seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Paul writes to Timothy, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. This was the small beginning of the Christian church. People who had learned through their own experience of themselves and of God that God is more trustworthy and more powerful than I am and therefore that is what I'm going to lead by. You see if we just live in our heads we don't have courage we have a theory we have a rationalization but somebody said uh, the brave have stories they have stories about what God has done and I believe what God wants to do among us is just encourage us to, uh, to, to step out into the but God situations but, and with that understand that he will also bring us to the end of ourselves in order that we can know who he is. That's why as a church we, we, we practice praying for healing and ministering healing in season and out of season because God will demonstrate who he is. And people often poo-poo it and say, well, why bother with that? And he said, well, because if you're sick, healing is pretty cool. We also live in a culture that has so thrown God out that they've cursed, we've cursed one another with labels. We live under labels of our conditions now. We live under labels, so many labels, because we have no hope for anything else other than, as the drug counselors call it, harm reduction. So you live under the curse of your affliction. And Jesus says, but I've come to set people free. And we say, well, I've never seen it, so I don't believe it. He said, well, why don't you actually read the scriptures, then start saying, God, use me, and then start laying hands on people and praying for them. But when you're praying for them, also remember that he's called you into communities so that you actually grow in yourselves and your own character so that you don't become more of a problem laying hands on people than their their addiction. (laughs) That's called humbling yourself and learning and being trained so that you actually discern rather than praying out of your need and destroying other people because of your so-called passion. It's very popular today to, to fast circuit into ministry and do more damage. That's why I always try to balance this out. Peter and John spent three years with Jesus. Paul spent 14 years in Tarsus. It's, it's this whole thing of doing it together, working it out together. I wanted to, you know, I think the way the church grew and the way God began to release his spirit was through people, meeting people, meeting people one at a time. And um, I was just reflecting on that and, and reminded of Heidi Baker who, who said, stop for the one. You know, Peter and J- John went into the temple where everybody was talking and they stopped for the one. And the one they stopped for began, gave the loudest sermon and, and, and led to all kinds of things happening because people saw before their eyes something that was impossible but God. I believe if we want to see Canada won again for Jesus, we need people who are willing to lay down their lives in extraordinary ways so that we can too have the man who was lame dancing and singing by our side and saying, but God, this is the God. You see, if my hand and arm is around somebody who's been lame and they walk, I can go into every religious group in the planet and say, but Jesus. It's not about being judgmental. Because Peter in the end said there is only one way to God and that is through Jesus. It's not about being judgmental. It's just saying, when you've got the Cadillac, why settle for the fill in the blank Let's listen to Heidi Baker. She just gives a short account of, you know, her stopping for the one. Don't you wish it were more complicated? I mean, I tend to complicate things when I don't want to do them. And this is not. This is not a. St- I'm not going here because of trying to get anybody feeling guilty. I mean, if guilt comes, then it's conviction. It's not guilt. I mean, I think we should feel guilty in some ways, but it's not a guilt to paralyze us. It's a guilt to motivate us. It's actually saying, Lord. I do live a very comfortable, protected life, and I want to grow. I want to be the one who stops. And I don't want to be the one who stops and says, I don't know what to do, I have nothing. I want to live... You see, we talk about an identity of sons and daughters of the king of kings. So what if the sons and daughters of the kings of kings stop all the time? And what if they actually give away what they have? And what if it looks like something? I love that phrase. It's challenging. It looks like something. It's not just I'm going to pray for you. It's how much do you need? Fill up the tank. be says, Stingy, John. You're buying an ice cream and it's half of the cost of what you're giving him. To p- I mean, I just thought of that now. It's even more embarrassing. I mean, give me a break. Oh, I should have filled up the tank and bought him an ice cream <laughs> and said, God loves you, man. He, he met me and he filled my tank up. I mean, w- maybe that's it. Jesus loves me. He filled my tank up. I'm paying it forward. I can't afford it. I can't not afford it. Let's not pray for this valley anymore. Let's do it. And how do you do it? I just become somebody who starts saying, Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me the humility to be hungry. Let me be present so that other people can be blessed rather than I'm always going to be blessed. Let love look like something. Let's stand. Let's ask him to give us what he gave Peter and John. You can't get the revelation of God's goodness without the revelation of your emptiness. You can't get a revelation of God's power and strength if you don't have a revelation of how little you carry in yourself. I'm sorry, it's not politically correct. It's about we have to die so that he might live and that's a process that goes on forever and ever. But God... So every time we're aware of our weakness, aware of our sin, we confess it to Jesus. We confess it to one another. And then we go but God. So Father, we confess to you. What do you, you tell him what you want to confess? What do you think what's he raising up for you? You'll know what it is, by the way. Just just tell him. Father, we just confess the parts of us that don't want to get our hands dirty. We confess whatever it is we need to. We're selfish. We guard our time our possessions our hearts forgive us where we've made our weakness or our poverty bigger than you are somebody was writing about despondency because of Britain leaving the you know European Union and said but God is greater he's greater there's more of Jesus to cover my fullness of sin is not as great as Jesus fullness of goodness so give him whatever he's asking because he might be saying to you this morning give give me this thing that's getting in the way and Father we again we just break lies that we believe that we can't do it that it will never happen in our lifetime we're not ready, we're not educated we're not rich enough, we're not poor enough we're not this or whatever whatever it is we just give it to you and then ask Jesus to give you what he has for you silver and gold I don't have for some of us, he might say, silver and gold, I have. It's your lucky day. I'm going to bless you. He does all kinds of things, you know, and silver and gold looks like love sometimes. Father, I pray that you release in each of us courage. Release in us eyes to see the lame. Eyes to see the, the men and women around us who have become insignificant. We ask you to give us eyes to see how you see one another. Eyes to see what we've become jaded by or discouraged by. Just give us your eyes, Jesus. And we ask you to forgive us when we walk by the lame and the blind and the crippled and all those people and, and we talk about how they should have done this or should have done that and, and it somehow justifies our walking by and we just say, Father, enough. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence. Give us opportunities this week to at least be aware of it when, like I was, aware of it when I'm saying no because that's more aware than I was a year ago. Aware of the opportunities and aware of my response and then aware of your, your grace to help me try again. So Holy Spirit, will you fill my brothers and sisters with your presence this morning, with your power, with your passion, with all that we need to be salt and light in a broken world. And I pray for that day when we have testimonies and we're lining up to talk about what God has done through us, how God has healed, how God has blessed. Give us eyes for the world around us. Everything Jesus has, he has given us. And everything Peter and John carried, we carry. What is Jesus giving you?